considering the distance geographically, the scenes over the last couple of weeks from London to Los Angeles to New York City have been shockingly similar. Activists brandishing Palestinian flags, supposedly protesting the latest violent clashes in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, are hitting Jewish targets here in America and in London, targets like restaurants or workplaces in midtown Manhattan's Diamond District. And these people are not protesting peacefully. No, not at all. They're perpetuating hate as old as time itself. I'll tell you, whatever your position is on the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which as of right now remains a ceasefire, the targeting taking place in the United States and in London is not about Zionism or geopolitical conflict. It is about Jewish hate. The question is, What's the foundation for this hatred? What's the history of this hatred? Why aren't people of peace standing up for the Jewish people who are being persecuted? Why aren't more Christians, true, authentic Christians, speaking up about this hatred? We will not just ask those questions, but we will answer them in this edition of Hidden Headlines, Faith, Family, Freedom, I'm Brian Sussman. Well, thanks for joining me, everyone. Hidden Headlines, Brian Sussman here. More on me at briansussman.com. No matter what your stance is on Israel, these anti-Semitic attacks are vile people purporting to be activists for the Palestinian cause. No, they're filled with hatred. Now, where does that hatred come from? Seriously, what is the root of that hatred? I'm going to talk about this. Some of the video you may have seen on TV has just been jaw-dropping. But again, what to me is just as astounding are the people of peace in this country who are not saying anything. And that includes many Christians, many true, authentic, born-again Christians. This attack on Jewish people is an attack on the roots of your faith, Christian, as well. But the video in London, for example, and the chant, F the Jews rape their daughters, that's what they were chanting in the streets, F the Jews rape their daughters. I've heard of peaceful protests. That's beyond the, that's nothing even close to peaceful. That's hateful. In Los Angeles, a couple days later, roving gangs violently targeted Jewish individuals dining at kosher restaurants. Palestinian flags were displayed as people were driving by in their cars. This was a call to action. Someone made the clarion call to these hate-filled Arabs to tee off. New York City, it went even further. An explosive device thrown at a group of Jewish onlookers in midtown Manhattan. I don't know what it was. Pipe bomb? Maybe just an M80. I don't know. 
but a Jewish man was brutally beaten in Times Square during a, a melee of violence. That was on camera. I've seen the interview with this man. My gosh, he had no idea what was happening to him. This is what's going on right now. We have seen it before. Now, I, I grew up as a, as a nominal Jewish, a, a kid in a nominal Jewish family. I grew up thinking that Christianity was the enemy. Oh, I knew the, that some Arabs were really, really nasty and hated me to the very core. But I grew up thinking that Christianity was hostile towards Jewish people as well. And my primary example of such violent hatred were the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages and Certainly, the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages was brutal to Jews and also, interestingly, to born-again Christians who had said no more to the Roman Catholic Church and essentially moved away into what would now be known as Protestantism. So my primary examples of violent hatred towards Jews were Roman Catholic Church, Adolf Hitler, and the KKK. I was told they were all Christians and and devilishly hated Jews. Then, over time, and some of you have heard the story, I'm not going to get into all of it right now, but I researched Christianity for myself. I read the New Testament in college. And I came to a very quick conclusion. There is no way an authentic follower of Jesus whose Hebrew name is Yeshua, could align themselves with the activities of of those three examples, the Roman Catholic Church in the Middle Ages, Adolf Hitler, and the KKK. Not even for a millisecond. Now, this is my, my call to authentic followers of Jesus. Folks, you need to get out there and say no to this Arab hatred because it's going for the roots of your faith as well. Let's, let's take a step back for a moment and look at history. And this will be a good, a good little walk down history lane for my Jewish brethren as well. Because a lot of Jewish people don't know what I'm going to share with you right now. Jesus, his mother Mary, and her husband Joseph were all highly observant Jews. They would never miss a holiday. They would never miss a festival. All of the disciples called to follow Jesus, all of those 12 disciples that we've read about, that were called by Yeshua to follow him. These are the the fathers of the faith for all Christians, minus Judas, one of the 12, the guy who betrayed Jesus and, and hung himself. So you have the other 11. They are the fathers. They are the pillars of the faith. All of these disciples loved Torah. Some of you are saying, what's Torah? Torah, the first five books of the Bible. And I would guess that they, between, between the 11 of them, they had the entire five books memorized. John the Baptist, you've heard of him. He was, by the way, Jesus' cousin. He was a Jew. 
and a highly devoted Jew. And then there's the Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament. Before Paul was known as Apostle Paul, he was Rabbi Saul. (laughs) You guessed it, Jewish. And not just any rabbi, he was a prominent rabbi. And can I tell you something? All of these disciples and all of these apostles like Paul, all of them Jewish, they all went to their death, highly observant Jews. I I can guarantee they celebrated all the holidays. They observed all the Passovers. They loved God. They loved the Word of God, which to them was what we call the Old Testament now. That's all they had. Some of them were writing what would be called the New Testament, but they loved the Word of God. And they were all persecuted for following, essentially, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in the case of Jesus, he was persecuted to death for claiming to be the promised Messiah, the Mashiach, in accordance with the prophets like Isaiah, who said 700 years before the crucifixion this. This is what Isaiah the prophet said, referring to Messiah. Now you tell me who this reminds you of. Ready? He was despised and abandoned by men. A man of great pain and familiar with sickness. And like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we had no regard for him. However, it was in our sickness that he himself bore and our pains that he carried. Yet we ourselves assumed that he had been afflicted, struck down by God, humiliated. Listen to this. Ready? He was pierced for our offenses. Think of those nails on the crucifixion cross. He was crushed for our wrongdoings. The punishment for our well-being was laid upon him, and by his wounds we were healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the wrongdoing of all of us to fall on him. You see, Jesus, as Messiah, had to die for all of our transgressions. And of course, he was raised for the dead, from the dead, in accordance with the scriptures, and then ascended to heaven. You understand what I'm saying here? This hatred of the Jews goes back to the beginning. It goes back to when God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees and promised that his seed would become a great nation. And his seed and that great nation would possess the land of Israel. And that God would use the nation of Israel to bless the world. And because of that, the Jewish people became public enemy number one in the eyes of Satan. That's right. Anti-Semitism is derived and gets its power from and is fomented by Satan himself.
I'm not just trying to make waves here, get a headline. I'm telling you, anti-Semitism is satanic. The question is, what should followers of Jesus the Messiah do? The true followers, they should stand up. You know, Jesus loved and wept for his brethren, God's chosen people. As Messiah, he died a sacrificial death, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Is anti-Semitism to remain unchallenged by the true followers of Jesus? No, no. Followers of Jesus cannot stand by silently. Right now, the church has a unique opportunity to show Jewish friends that they are loved, and more importantly, that Yeshua loves them. I'm, I'm reminded of a few scriptures here. Through the Jewish patriarchs, the prophets, and the temple, God used the Jews to bring forth his word, the law, and morality to a world of sin. And then he sent forth his son, Jesus, as the Messiah, in a Jewish body to redeem the world of sin. And Satan, the prince of the earth, the prince of sin, has poisoned the minds of men with his hatred of the Jews. You can read for yourself, John 14, 30, Ephesians 2, 2. Jewish persecution and anti-Semitism at large is a sign of Satan's hatred for a people chosen by God to reveal the word of God and the Messiah of God. I'll say that one more time. Jewish persecution and anti-Semitism, the very stuff we're seeing right now, is a sign of Satan's hatred for the people chosen by God to reveal the word of God and the Messiah of God to the world. And now a little history. Sadly, the history that I'm about to share with you is not taught in American schools. <laughs> it's, it's not taught in our schools. It's not promoted by our media. If you want to know the truth about this stuff, you got to dig into the details for yourself. Uh, this came to my attention only recently where uh, someone very close to our family asked me why these Palestinians seem to hate the Jews so much. I'll begin by saying this. The greatest obstacle to peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians is quite simply a jihadist hatred of the Jews and the Jewish state. And that hatred cannot be appeased. How Hamas, which is uh, one of the powerful warring factions amongst the Palestinians, turned Gaza into a base for murder. The Gaza Strip is a base for murder. Oh, I'll tell you about the Gaza Strip in just a moment. It was once a beautiful, flourishing place of commerce. And how Fatah, another political instrument of the Palestinians, has frustrated every move for peace during the last 50 years. And between Hamas and Fatah, we have an illustration of how these Palestinian factions have developed a theological and ideological justification that won't allow for any negotiation with Israel that might 
lead to lasting peace. They do not want lasting peace. And this indoctrination of anti-Semitic hatred is found in their schools, the Palestinian schools, and in the Palestinian media, and across Arab lands at large for the most part. And it is celebrated publicly by terrorists who have massacred Jewish women and children, and by its absolute contempt for every, what they call a two-state initiative, where Israel will have their land and Palestinians will have their land. And the Palestinian leadership has managed to convince as much of the international community as possible that the goal of the Palestinians is to delegitimize the Jewish state and not live alongside it. I mean, that's, that's what they meant. They will not live alongside the Jews. Uh, you can go way back in history, obviously. That was Jewish land. It's, it's in the Bible. <laughs> But no one wants to hear about that part of the story. There is a slogan that Palestinians all know and say often. It says that Palestine is free from the river to the sea. Now, since Israel is bordered to the east by the Jordan River and to the west by the Mediterranean Sea, when they say Palestine is free from the river to the sea, this is a demand that the Jewish state of Israel disappear. In fact, when you go to most Arab countries and they reveal a map of the Middle East, guess what's not there? Israel. In fact, that map without Israel was actually seen on the walls of the United Nations at one point in time. I don't know if it's been replaced, but I know at one time it was actually a news story. I talked about it on my radio show in San Francisco years ago. So let's go back and look a little bit more at the history. 1936, the British government set up a commission to look at clashes between the Arabs and the Jews. 1936, there was no state of Israel. There were clashes going on between Arabs and Jews. The Jews had always lived in that part of the world. They'd never completely left. And in the late 1800s, they started buying, people called the Zionists, started buying swaths of land from Arabs in the borders that would someday become Israel once again. And they bought the land for a high price, but they thought it was worth it because they figured if we can cobble together enough land that we will own, we will therefore own our own country. Now, if we could just talk to the world into acknowledging that we're Israel, everything will be good. So that was a, a plan that started in place by the Jewish people in the late 1800s. In 1936, the British government set up this commission because there were all these clashes between Arabs and Jews. And it reported in 1937 that the conflict could not be resolved. If you're going to have Israel as a nation, you're going to have to have a partition available for these Palestinian Arabs. And the recommendation from this commission in 1937 was that the Jews should be allowed a small Jewish state in, quote, the land from which the Jewish nation was born. 
And in addition to that marked off area, there was a region for the Palestinians as well. Now, it's interesting. Well, let's continue with the story before I get ahead of myself. Right off the bat, there were Zionists, people who were for the state of Israel, Jews for the state of Israel, who accepted the commission's partition partition plan. We'll have this for the Jews, that for the Palestinians. But the Palestinians rejected the plan, and they vowed to drown the fledgling Jewish state in rivers of blood. I'll talk more about that in just a moment. So now here we are, we're in the run-up to World War II and Adolf Hitler and the Nazis and the extermination of Jews. And there was a prominent Palestinian leader at the time, his name was Al-Husani, most powerful leader of the Palestinian people in the 1930s. He quickly became a Nazi collaborator and he promised to aid the Nazis by stirring up the Arabs to fight, to fight to make sure that the Jews would not have a permanent homeland. Stir up hatred amongst the Arabs against the Jews. Drown them in a river of blood. So quite simply, at that point in time, the Palestinian view was no to a slice of land in addition to the tiny parcel that the Jews would get. It was no to a Jewish state. It was no to a Jewish presence in what they considered Arab land, period. World War II ends. We're in May 1948. The United Nations endorsed a creation of a small, independent Jewish state. And as such... The armies of five Arab nations, Egypt, Jordan, Syria, Iraq, and Lebanon, invaded tiny little Israel. (laughs) Israel really didn't even have much of an army to defend itself at the time. But you know what they had? They had God on their side. If you look at the history of that battle, how the Israelis were able to fend off these Arab armies is astounding. The Palestinian Arabs were the losers in this war that they started. And they refused to understand that the penalty for starting a war, right? Throughout history, if you start a war and you lose, that means you lose something. Oftentimes it's the land that you were fighting for and the sovereignty that comes with it. Israel, minding their own business, attacked from all sides by five nations. They end up winning the war and claiming that as their homeland. It's it's amazing because when you look at Palestinian leadership today, they are stubborn. They refuse to give up. Take, for example, 2005, one portion of Israel known as the Gaza Strip. In one of these peace deals, which, of course, the Palestinians 
never keep their end of the bargain. One of these peace deals, Israel said, okay, we'll, we'll leave what's known as the Gaza Strip. We'll leave it. We're just, and we're going to leave everything to you. So what does that mean, we're going to leave everything to you? The Gaza Strip was a flower exporting Mecca. There were 3,000 beautiful greenhouses. Amongst some of the flowers produced, there were tulips. It was just, uh, in, here they are in the middle of the desert with greenhouses, raising flowers that were used to beautify much of the world. So you would think that the Palestinians would say, wow, what a gift. Part of the peace deal, we get all of this commerce, we can make lots of money. But no, what was the Palestinians' response? They immediately, I mean, lickety-split, destroyed the greenhouses. Oh, and there was money in this deal as well. Oh, yes, the West, including the United States of America, gave the Palestinians money in this particular deal. What was that money used for? Not on schools, not on homes, not on hospitals. It was, it was used on missiles and tunnels and propaganda directed at killing Jews and fomenting Jewish hatred. Now fast forward. There have been many times where Israeli prime ministers have offered Palestinians an independent state, a state of their own. And the Palestinians have always said no. Why? Because saying yes would have required them to sign a final peace agreement that accepted the Jewish state. Let's go back to 2000. There was the Camp David summit, the peace accord. Israeli Prime Minister Barak decided to agree with borders set in place by President Clinton that would have given the Palestinians a state on the West Bank and Gaza. So, okay, Palestinians, you'll get your state. Astonishingly, it also included the division of Jerusalem, making it actually possible for East Jerusalem to be the Palestinian capital. But the Palestinians leader, Arafat, refused. And not only did he refuse, but he made no counteroffer, which means in a deal when you don't make a counteroffer, that means you're not serious about a deal at all. And he walked out of the negotiations and launched an attack that killed many Israelis. Where was the world outrage? That's not how you do it. In any kind of a business deal, if you don't agree to the terms, okay, walk away. But that doesn't mean you now go out and, for example, a real estate deal. You're trying to buy a particular house. You can't come to terms on the deal, so you walk away. But in the case of the Palestinians, they didn't just walk away, they started to attack the house. They walked out of negotiations, launched what they call an intifada that killed Israelis. That was in 2000. Also in 2000, a sweeter deal was offered. Arafat walked out again. In 2008, 
Another deal was offered, this time by Prime Minister Olmert. It was the ultimate capitulation to Palestinian demands. He offered to turn over Jerusalem's holy places, many of the holy places, including some of Judaism's most sacred sites, to an international body that would include Jordan and Saudi Arabia. You know, Jordan and Saudi Arabia, these are, these are the Palestinians' Arab brothers. Did they accept? No. They did not accept. You see, the Palestinians won't accept any land for peace deal. They want the land without the peace. And may I also say this? The Palestinians are being used by their Arab brothers. You know, those Arab states could all take in these Palestinians. Okay, brothers, listen, it's over. You've been trying. It's not working out here. Come, come, come and live with us. We're all Arabs. But no, the Arab state, states around the region enjoy using the Palestinians as a tool, as a tool of terror. Again, they want the land without the peace. They want the sovereignty for themselves without a reciprocal recognition of the sovereignty of the Jewish state. They want statehood without negotiation. They want statehood with an independent Palestine that can continue its war with Israel. Now, why should Christians care? Because this is Satan using a group of people to attack the very people who gave Christians their Messiah. God used this, this, this stubborn people, these stubborn Hebrew people. It's, it's in the scriptures. I'm not making it, this up. He, he used a stubborn people and showed them time after time after time his love for them. And in showing them his love, he shared with them his word. Came from Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments. Moses wrote the Torah, the five first five books of the Bible. And then we had the prophets, and we had the other writers of, of those wonderful scriptures. And of course, through all of that, a son was born, a son was given, and his name is Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He saves Jews first and then Gentiles of all stripes, promising them heaven. Who stands, who is trying to stand in the way of that plan? Satan himself, the fallen angel. And he's using every weapon he has on this earth to illustrate his hatred for the people of the word and for the people who follow Messiah. He knows his days are numbered. No, it's, it's all in the Bible. He knows his days are numbered and he knows his end will be, as we read in the book of Revelation, a lake of fire. Well, that's Hidden Headlines. Faith, family, freedom. A little different turn in this particular episode. 
but I hope it will stir you up to stand up for the people of Israel and stand up for the Jews who are so hated on planet Earth. Thanks for joining me. Brian Sussman, Hidden Headlines. May God bless you, and may God bless the United States of America, and may God bless Israel.